0: Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing.
1: Hosted by five time CMO Mike Linton. Welcome, marketers, advertisers, and those who love them, to the Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former chief marketing officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Richard Sanderson. Today's topic, a top executive search perspective on marketing, sales, communications, and the CMO position. Now, Richard started his career at Russell Reynolds, took a detour to work at Booz and Company, went back to Russell Reynolds, and then moved to Spencer Stewart, where he leads the marketing, communications, and sales practice. Spencer is one of the best search firms in the country, and Richard specializes in CMO, CRO, CCO, and sales leadership positions, all the Cs, and he leads 25 searches per year on average and sees a lot more. Full disclosure, I've known Richard for several years as he recruited me to the Allworth Financial Board. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here. All right, Richard, let's start. Give us a quick overview of the talent marketplace and what you are seeing today.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it's been an interesting. let's call it three years. Let's us take us back, I guess, to the beginning of the pandemic, if that works for you, Mike. From that around, does. I uh, mean,
1: between we we have COVID, we have quiet yeah. quitting, we have all this stuff, <laughs> you know, all in the la- remote work, all in the last three years. Give us give us the landscape that you see. Yeah,
0: okay, absolutely. So I'll, I'll take it back just three and a half years. I won't go back any further than that. But it's this sort of pandemic and post-pandemic period, because it's been a Remarkable roller coaster ride, I think, over the last three and a half years. Uh, I'd probably break this into three or four f- distinct phases that we have seen. Phase okay. one was the you know immediate aftermath of the when the pandemic hit. So that first let's call it three to six months. So that is you know March twenty twenty through until the the summer uh, of twenty twenty. And look, uh, there was a sharp decline. Um, in the employment market, particularly in the executive search market, there was a there was a sudden drop as there was some uncertainty. If you remember, we were it's hard to believe this. We were all locked up at home; no one was going anywhere. It, I mean, it was just crazy times. Phase two, I would say, was from that summer of 2020 onwards, through and that I would say this phase lasted about a year and a half or so, through until mid 2022, and that's when we saw a big spike in hiring in the employment market, uh, a big adjustment, really became a seller's market for talent at this point. I'd break this phase two perhaps into phase two A and two B. There was the initial period where we were all leaning into buying products for for our homes and our kitchens and where we were spending time, our our gardens and all that kind of stuff. So things like consumer durables, products and those types of companies did really well. Then I'd say there's phase two B, where there was a big rotation. Um we started coming out of our shells again. There was a big spike in in more service-related activities. So we saw a big spike in things like leisure, hospitality, travel coming back really quickly, almost at the expense of 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 of, of product and product-related businesses. So you saw that rotation Absolutely. within phase within phase two. Then I'd say a, a phase three crept in, which was late 2022. So somewhere around mid this year. So this coincided with a spike in inflation, uh, a rise in interest rates to where they are about now. And I think for the first time, we saw what I might call a little bit of a white collar recession took place. We saw companies that have never really had hiring freezes or reductions in force in their history start
1: having them. So yeah. Yeah, um, all, the, all the tech companies. Yeah. The, then, I mean, the, West West also coast, the- yeah. The recalibration of everybody's valuation right. in, in both uh, health, biotech, t- and just raw tech, and a lot of startups. That was that was quite quite a change. It it,
0: it was. So there's a few things. There's actually some very interesting sub trends buried going on underneath that. So first of all, I would say um, you're right. We saw. I think Mark Zuckerberg is calling 2023 the year of efficiency. I think it's the phrase he's out there with. But what catchy
1: meant, efficiency.
0: what it's meant is, you know, we have seen these particularly, you called it out, sort of West Coast, particularly consumer or digital tech companies, really look at large-scale layoffs for the first time, hiring freezes, uh, this coincided with the rise of interest rates, and just as a sense of looking much more closely at the cost base. And so the paradox here, or the irony is, on the one hand, I think the employment numbers that come out from the Department of Labor have suggested actually employment is at all-time highs and the right. unemployment level is an all-time low what's actually going on beneath the service is there's a little bit of a white collar recession going on and that you know perhaps the service sector or hourly jobs that there's more of those available than, than than people to fill them on the other hand we saw at the, the top end of the market where search firms focus there were there was a pullback and I you know I I whilst I've not studied the the uh, the publicly uh, released financial results of the publicly traded search firms. I mean, I think the general experience in executive search is that 2023 is going to be, is going to be a down year. Yeah. Um, We're seeing, I think what's going to happen is we will look back at 2021 and 2022 as years of overhiring. We will probably look at 2023 as if you like a reversion to the mean. And my guess is, and then this is now phase four that we're in, I've noticed for me it was really around may i noticed a real sentiment shift to the positive i think we're looking at a return to normalcy in second half of 2023 and now going into 2024
1: so, so- if we if we, get to, if we get back to normal if we're returning to normal is something like ai or quiet quitting or you know the lazy girl thing is that going to um have a, is that really a real thing or or what are you seeing from the search seat on, on all this stuff going on. Is that is that coming back to normal too? Or are those real trends and all the fighting about remote work and coming back to the office and real estate? Right.
0: Okay, so uh, you've actually packaged up quite a few things there, Mike. I did, I mean, I've got to let you go I'm, wherever you want with them. Which I'm just going to break down into some sub bits. So there's a whole discussion right now about AI, metaverse, what impact is that going to have on marketing and marketing leadership? And I'm just going to put that off to the side okay. for a moment, because there's a separate, that, that's a whole separate discussion we could have. You brought up issues around quiet quitting or yeah. the quote unquote the great resignation. Yeah. I think it was called once upon a time. And then there was a third issue in there, which is the return to office. Right. These are all major, major substantial issues right now that we're having a lot of discussions with our clients about. Um so let me sort of take this of quiet quitting or great resignation, we'll call it whatever, whatever you want. Um, I actually thought about it more as more of a a great reshuffle than necessarily a great resignation. I'm not sure that if you look at labor employment trends or labor participation rates, you saw a massive change necessarily. It sure doesn't look like it when you look Uh, at the US numbers. So I'm not necessarily sure people were like quitting in vast numbers, but rather sort of rethinking certain decisions for a period of time in certain trade-offs they were willing to make. I, I think it also reflected, to be honest, what was going on was there were very different there've been very different experiences over the last three years, depending where you are in your career. And so here, here's what I mean by this: the reality is, for for senior leaders, some of them did really well in the last three years. Um, you know, you you pointed out yourself, off the initial dip in in March twenty twenty, share prices rocketed. I mean, from what I remember, the Dow wow. Jones dipped below. 20,000 in March 2020, but it soared to over 36,000 by 2021. And, and if you're in a tech company, you actually experienced unprecedented wealth creation in a short period of time. And specifically, the NASDAQ went below 7,000 in March 2000 and then hit 16,000 by, by Thanksgiving um, of the following year. I mean, there that, that was just, I mean, the level of volatility was extraordinary. And if you timed it right, you made a boatload of money. Now, not everyone times it right. But so for senior leaders, some of them are having the best times of their lives. And by the way, they didn't have to be in the office. And it, it's not its not polite to say it, but some of them were having a, a grand old time. Now, on the other hand, um, I think if you were early or mid-career, I think it was a very different experience. The, the pandemic was often deeply traumatic. It often meant moving back with your parents. You might've been leaving big cities. There's a huge amount of uncertainty in professional and and personal lives and you saw much greater turnover in that cohort and their experience of work was, was was very different in many cases there was no coaching going on no mentoring no real development people you know, and so when people talk about quiet quitting what i think was actually happening is people were leaving mediocre jobs with poor company cultures that's what was really going on uh, but very vastly and i don't think people talk about this enough there was vastly different experiences i think of the last three years, depending where you were in your career,
1: I, I think this is a a great insight into what's really happening, and also the fact that you shouldn't paint this with a broad brush, but you should look at talent and careers like you would look at a consumer segmentation Absolutely. and think about it and think about it that way. Um, I I I want to flip this over to the CMO, CRO, and all the other C searches you do because you do so many C searches. And I, I want to talk about um, th- what are you seeing here between, as companies are rethinking all of this, marketing, sales, comms, and customer experience, those used to be all kind of single jobs, and now they're kind of mashing up, maybe. What do you see there? It's all over the place, Mike. I mean, first of all, let
0: me start with a statistic that sometimes shocks people uh, around the, the presence of the chief marketing officer if you look at the fortune 500 and we've done many studies and some of them we'll quote i'm sure later during this uh, discussion Absolutely. today over it's somewhere around i think 27% of fortune 500 companies don't even have a chief marketing officer which is sometimes a, people go what really it's a bit of a shocking statistic compare that to i think 0% of companies that don't have a chief financial officer <laughs> yeah a major um, CIO. Now, cio yeah right now here's the important thing to say it's not to say these companies don't have marketing the ones that don't have a CMO, they probably have marketing, but it's probably either in a regional role, a divisional role, a business unit role. It's just not necessarily elevated to the enterprise level within a company where it necessarily has a voice at the table, or it may just be a reflection of how a company is structured. Warren Buffett, for example, has no use for a chief marketing officer, but right. his single operated, his single largest operating unit, which I think is Geico, absolutely has a chief marketing officer. So, you know, it first of all depends on you know, how do we define... CMO? Does it does it matter if it exists at the enterprise level or not? But the stat number one is over 25% of companies don't even have a chief marketing officer. Um, what there has been has been a significant evolution over the role. I think the big trend has been the merging of some aspects of what have been traditionally called sales and what's been traditionally called marketing. I think, again, uh, in the pandemic, one of the immediate impacts was a, yet another wave of not so much digital transformation, but digital acceleration. And we saw some of the traditional roles or boundaries between sales and marketing just merge, uh, just 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 disappear. The concept of having a field sales organization at the outset of the pandemic was was laughable because they couldn't be in the field. Yeah. And so you know, you saw another opportunity for marketing leaders to have substantial impact on revenue and sales, which is even though I know there's a lot of naysayers out there about marketing, I'm actually convinced we're in the quote unquote, the golden age of marketing as there's more opportunity now than ever before for marketers to have revenue impact. But back to your question about what's happening to the role, this evolution is nothing new. I mean, I remember 10 plus years ago when people were talking about, oh, what is this chief growth officer role that is cropping up in consumer products companies? And there are a range of of large-scale multinational CPG companies that moved to a chief growth officer structure where a marketing leader was actually a report into a chief growth officer. So there's a quest around, oh my goodness, the CMO role is being layered. What does that mean? It's the end of the CMO role. Of course it wasn't. But just another iteration. We're seeing it now again, but crop up in different ways. A will point to, for example, the, the retail sector. Most, I think I can say this, I think it's true, most, uh, retailers of scale now have a chief customer officer.
1: Yeah. And, um, and your role, a lot of people are rolling customer experience and, and other stuff into that job right. versus just the marketing. Makes and a lot of sense. Right. And so. so,
0: so, you know, what does that mean for, for marketing leaders? Look at some businesses that have a chief customer officer. They don't have a CMO. In many cases, you could say somewhat cynically, the chief customer office is just a CMO plus role. Right. Which by the way, I regard as a good thing. Um, and when you look at the, the definition. with you look at job, we have the pleasure of writing a lot of job descriptions and talking to our clients about scope of role and responsibilities. I mean, you'll see in these chief customer officer descriptions, there's a lot of table stakes marketing stuff that's in there. So you know, typically, all branding, creative is in there, insights, analytics, digital. I think where the chief customer officer role really does get differentiated is around ownership of the of the uh, omnichannel experience right. activation. Fundamentally, it's about how do you link physical and digital assets, um, consumers do not go on some linear path as to how they choose to shop. They, they migrate and move across multiple channels, but traditional company org structures, frankly, aren't set up well to match how the consumer chooses to shop. And essentially, the chief customer officer, I think, is a is an attempt to address address those types of, of journeys, but also throwing in the next wave. Uh, we're seeing um, retail media, essentially the monetization of of, of data that exists, uh, media networks that are growing up within retailers, the important role of, of believe it or not, they don't talk about this much, but financial services or credit cards. For some, Absolutely. That's some, a huge. Yeah. I mean, they huge. don't talk about this, but, but sometimes you could rather cynically argue that a retailer is actually a rather large credit card program that happens to have some retail stores attached to it. Because when you look at where the net income comes from, it's disproportionately from financial services activities associated with the retail experience, some of that is being thrown in with the chief customer officer. Plus- and I
1: think I, I will say I, I I look at it as a really good thing because to me it's a CMO plused up job, right? right. And I, I look at that was like my job at, at a couple of the companies right. where. We had customer experience or and or the call centers and the service groups in there which yep. is you're really the customer interface versus and marketing is one piece of that but not right. all of it. Right. Can, can I can I flip the, the, the yep. question a little bit and say all right so we have a bunch of companies that don't have a CMO. They have all those other things they have this when you look at at the CMO job a lot of people get it right and a bunch of people maybe get it wrong, what's the biggest mistake people are making now when they structure the CMO job or hire CMOs that you see? Okay, really
0: good question. I think there's a number of issues that uh, still are not well addressed when it comes to hiring chief marketing officers. Number one is um, inconsistent definition of what the role is and what the expectations are um i will when we're taking a brief for a chief marketing officer search you know depending who the hiring manager is it might be the ceo it might be someone else but i'll often ask them you know how will you know if your chief marketing officer hire is successful after year one and just leave it there and there's often a very awkward pause <laughs> and then i get a really <laughs> fluffy answer i mean and, and this is my, my point i don't think there's a Consistent definition of what marketing is. Or more importantly, what does success in marketing actually look like? There are no consistent success metrics. Now, I don't want to make this all about the fault of the client. It's not. I think if there's a if there's fault to be pinned potentially on marketing leaders, I encourage them, you know, you've got to not just think like a marketer, you've got to think like a business leader. How often do the chief marketing officer do you talk to your CFO or your CEO? About the impact your marketing budget will have on earnings per share, are you talking to them about their language? I don't think CEOs, CFOs, frankly, give a damn about impressions, eyeballs.
1: I don't, and they shouldn't. That right? They got to manage investors. Right. The
0: sort of stuff that that marketers worry about. You can almost, you know, hear the air coming out of the balloon, perhaps of. Of CEOs and CFOs, when marketers might engage on those types of of, of of metrics. So I think there's this sense of you know what does success look like in the role? That's a challenge. Inconsistent definition. I would also say the role has become really hard. It is now a really really broad role. Uh, I think my concern is it's you know marketing has become a really broad church. You, you know you, I think a successful marketer is expected to be everything from a, a brand visionary, a creative genius. A product marketing expert, through to being a guru on data science, marketing technology, lifecycle marketing—I mean, the the list of what a marketing leader is expected to be an expert on has just become enormous and out of control.
1: And we have had a couple shows on this, where uh, one is is the CMO job headed for extinction because of exactly this, because somewhere in there you're going to have some negative numbers, and if people are after you, you know, you're you're pretty easy to blame. We've also had two shows. One, um, well, we've had a couple along this. One, a, a CEO who was a marketer who said, "Look, if the board and the CEO don't believe in marketing, you probably shouldn't take the job." And and then we had a um, we had a, a business professor from Virginia say, "Throw away the job spec because it might be okay for the CEO, it might be okay for you, but it's probably not okay for the company. You have to go through the interview process and figure out." Is this job spec real and how are they really going to judge you? And you should probably write your own because just because the CEO or the the head of HR has this job spec doesn't mean your peers will have it, and you want to scope this out before you go in. Can you can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a fundamental question. If you're a candidate looking at a marketing role, and by the way, not just CMO for, for any, marketing
1: any marketing role. Room, I, mean, right. I think
0: there is a a question you need to very critically ask yourself around, does this company, quote unquote, get marketing? Are they actually serious about it? Is the marketing, how much strategic and commercial impact is the marketing role or the marketing leadership team allowed to have on this business? And we just have to face some realities, which is the role that marketing plays in businesses and the impact it has does vary. I would say in consumer products companies, marketing is typically up, up the, the, wheel. The, the sun yeah. around which around which the other stars revolve. And the route to the top is typically through marketing. You, you that's where the PL ownership resides, and that is the route to the top. In other businesses, you have to accept that is not the case. And you know, marketing exists in service to other functions. Where where wires get crossed is when a company says one thing, but actually believe something else. (laughs) And this is what I encourage,
1: you know. Which happens, I will just say, we get a lot of calls in and that happens so much. And and if you ask the wrong questions in the interview, you won't see it coming, and you'll get there and you're going to get struck by the bus. I
0: I agree. And and look, people aren't doing this from any malicious intent. I just want to be very clear. I I do think that business leaders and whoever it may be, when they say the right things about marketing, I, I really do believe they mean it. I also recognise there can be quarterly earnings results pressures, budgetary pressures, and more often than not, you know, marketing can be the first one to get it in the neck. Um, and so, what I often encourage people to think about is um, not only can companies talk the talk, but you know, will they walk the walk about the commitment to marketing, but also just going into this with your eyes wide open. I mean, just how much permission or influence is marketing? Able and 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 want to have, and not trying to over overstate that or or understate that, but just an acceptance of look, this is this is how
1: much impact it can have. Uh, look, I think this is super important because look, that's like everybody wants to get in shape, but getting in shape takes a lot of effort. Like everyone wants a great brand and a great marketing department, a great CAC and great great web. You, you know, you want it all, but you you have to be willing to do do what it is. I, you know, I have a couple of questions I ask when I when I when I'm looking at at jobs. But do you have any recommendations for what people should ask to see if marketing is really has the influence and a. Uh, uh, account of uh, like power to go with the responsibility it's given because you, you, you yeah. know all this you get know, all this stuff yeah make magic but okay. then if, if you have yeah. nothing to do with how do you yeah. i'll give you a couple of question? tips
0: i'll give you a couple of tips so if, number one if it's a publicly traded business here's what i actually do and this is when i do my own research on a company but it's very telling go to the 10k and on your computer or whatever it is do, do control f where you search for a word type yeah. in the word marketing see how many times it's mentioned in the 10k Oh, that's a good one. If it's like not mentioned at all, if there's like no mention of marketing at all in the 10K, uh uh-oh, I think you know what you're walking into. Um, So that's tip number one. Just see, does the company talk about marketing in their public filings? That gives you a sense, number one, of how seriously the company takes it. I'm not saying there's a threshold for the number of times it needs to be mentioned, but it gives you a flavor for, is this a topic the company wants to discuss publicly? Yes or no? Um, Topic number two would be, uh, particularly when you get towards the end of a process, um, it's telling how many people you've been allowed to speak to and how broad that audience is. Because here's the here's the lens, I think, through which you're, you should be looking at it. How well does the broader business leadership, beyond just the hiring manager, you know, how actively are they engaging in marketing? Is this on their agenda? Do they want to talk to you about it? How broad was the process coming in? I'm not looking to expand an interview process so it's out of Control, but at least try and have a sense of is marketing on the agenda of other key business leaders? Yes or no? And I think you can only get to that by trying to have an interview or a discussion before you are offered a job or before you accept a job. Um, so trying to do as much due diligence as you can because it is really hard. And then if, you know the third thing I say to people is look, make LinkedIn your friend. Go and find people who've left this company in the last six or twelve months, and and look them up and try and try and engage with them. And just ask them, you know, what is the culture like in, in the firm? What is the role, impact, influence uh this team has? How is the leader, the marketing leader viewed by their peers? Um, try and do your own due diligence as much as you 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 can. And a great way to do that is by tracking down people who've left company uh, left the company in the last six or twelve months.
1: I think those are super tips. Uh I will add two questions that I've used, which is, who has final approval of creative and media? And if it's not me, I'm probably not taking that job because I don't have any of the authority that goes with the responsibility. And then the second question I always ask is, if I want to move money across my functions, I should be able to do that. If I have to get someone else's approval, I'm not really running yeah. whatever, whatever my span of control is. And and so those are the two questions that that I've used as as kind of uh, really important insights as as to how the decisions get made. Um, hey hey so so I I I still think the CMO job as we kind of have alluded to is still I think the fastest turning job in the C suite. What would you tell everybody? Well, one, if that's not true in your mind, you should you should let me know. Um, but and then two. Even if it isn't the fastest turning job, and, and I think a couple of people still still think it is, um, or a lot of people do, what should people be doing to extend their tenure right now? Okay. All right. This is a really important topic,
0: Mike, because I am pushing back hard on this narrative that somehow CMOs are a bunch of failures and that somehow they've got two or three years to prove themselves or they're out. It's just not true. And I know there have been some very high profile articles written in very uh, well-established and prestigious publications that talk about this. And you know what? When we've looked at the data, it just doesn't support it. So here's what I mean by this. So at Spencer Stewart, we look at um, the Fortune 500, and we look at all functional leaders, not just the marketing leader, but we've done a 10-year study on every single marketing leader in the Fortune 500. Now, for 20 years, Spencer Stewart has published Uh, an average uh, CMO 10-year study, in full disclosure and candor, we did change the data set about two years ago. Historically, we had relied on the Ad Age 100, so the top 100 advertising Uh, spenders as measured by by their marketing spend. What that meant was it was an inevitable lean into more consumer-driven categories and high spenders, and also limited to just 100. In the last two years, we switched to the Fortune 500. By definition, the sample size is five times bigger. And it's a much broader array of companies and a much more of a blend of B2B and B2C, as opposed to just high profile, high spending um, brands or businesses. So uh, I feel I think we feel a lot more robust. So so let me just give you the headline. So the average tenure of a chief marketing officer, when you look at the Fortune 500, is 4.2 years. The average tenure of the C-suite as a whole is 4.4 years. It's really not that
1: No, that would be a standard deviation. So
0: Correct. And if you look at, so I'll give you some of the others, the chief financial officer, 4.6 years. The chief HR officer, 4.5 years. The general counsel is high, 5.5 years. Um, Supply chain officer, 4.3 years. Marketing, 4.2. It's just not that different. And so we are oh, trying to move away. Standard
1: deviation, other than we,
0: right, we're trying to move away from this. As I said, there's this narrative out there: the CMOs are failures. They turn over. So then we went even further and said, "Okay, well, I don't think many people have answered the question: What happens to CMOs when they do leave their job? I mean, are they actually being fired, or or, or what goes on? And here's the punchline: No, they're not. The punchline is this, and this data has just been updated. We've not published this anywhere yet, Mike. So I'm glad to give you. The exclusive I'm
1: sure, I'm of this. CMO confidential,
0: so, of you've got a scoop here. So we have looked at the Fortune 500. We've looked at every CMO that exited their role between 2019 and 2022. In total, that's over 250 CMOs who've exited their role. Of those, 68% of exiting CMOs are either promoted within their own company or go on to a similar or bigger role at another company. That means that approximately 31%, and I'll break it out to you in more detail. So fundamentally, 17% of CMOs when they leave their role, that's one, seven, are, are generally retiring. They've come yep. to the end of their career. 15% are either self-employed or don't have a current role. So that means, okay, they might have been fired. They might have left involuntarily. Something else has happened but the vast majority, Mike, are going on to bigger and better roles. And so the sense that somehow their failures and being fired after three years, it's just
1: not true. I I love that you prepared for this because we may have to have you back and put all these charts up and and talk about it. Because I know when I talk to the academics about this, they will say they're looking at thousands of companies. And if you go past the 500 and you go deeper, the turnover is pretty harsh. But- yeah
0: and, and I would say look that may be driven by other events I mean the moment you step outside of the fortune 500 you start getting the companies that you know they may be private uh, uh private equity owned I mean they are they're on very defined timelines of of buying a company exiting a company and that may result in a change of, of, of a leadership team and yes I accept that this data I'm giving you is the largest 500 you know this is more of a a, a large cap. View. And I've no doubt, yes, if you do go to smaller companies, it may look a little bit different. But we deliberately expanded from 100 to 500 companies to try and give this some robustness. But as I said, this sense that CMOs are failures is just not true. I view it like this the CMO role is really a platform role onto something else in your career. CMO is not necessarily an end destination, but a waypoint onto something else in your career. And this is the sort of the narrative. That the data supports, not that CMOs are failures and can't hack it and constantly in this revolving door. That that is just that's just not
1: true. Well, this was this was super helpful. And thank you for the preparation on this. Um, I want to flip the I, I wanna I wanna, because we may have to have you back on the show if you're willing, um to to talk about this later on. Um if I if if people are out there listening to the show and they want to be a CMO. Mm-hmm. And they're you know down at that director level or up. What would you advise them to be doing now to get yeah. ready for this kind of job, given all the stuff we've talked about and how much there is to learn and do right. and how the job's getting harder and harder? What should, what should they be doing now?
0: Right. So you need to find either a manager or a leader or a company that's going to develop you. And what I mean by that is I hinted earlier that my concern about marketing is it's become now a series of highly specialized swim lanes and you yeah. sort of grow up in a swim lane and you're not careful. You get, you know, you get painted with a brush that goes, Oh, you know, that's the, per- that's the creative person. Or, yeah. Oh, look, you can only the,
1: you know, do the backstroke, right. but you have or, to do the, right. you, you or, have to do the
0: medley. Well, that's the court jock. You know, that's our, yeah. that's our acquisition, you know, customer acquisition person. Um, how would you find a business or a manager that will rotate you, through different roles and give you different experiences early in your career. I mean, I will often challenge some marketing leads and say, hey, when was the last time you put your, your, your creative director and made them a director of performance marketing? They don't do it. Um, but increasingly, I think, you know, with these, with these wide, broad, broad encompassing job specs that are coming up, I mean, there is some expectation that you have touched different parts um, or most parts of the marketing skill set or most parts of the business. So how do you find someone or something that will invest in you? And so it also means that the places where people maybe used to go and think about starting their careers are not necessarily exclusively the places I would encourage people to go now. You mean you're like, like saying like a Procter and a Pepsi? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Pep, I don't want I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to pick on those because those continue to be absolute academy companies that generate a disproportionate amount of of, of, of CMOS. But it is true, I think, that if you're in Procter and Gamble, you're not really being exposed to many direct business models.
1: You right. are
0: still selling your product in an intermediated way, I mean through retail, um, to get your to get your end consumer. Um, you know, the direct to consumer business model is not yet, I don't believe, a substantial part of their of their revenue. And yet, of course, the last 10 years has seen a wave of these companies. Now whether this wave of companies is here to last is a whole nother question you know many of them have unsustainable business models many of them being unprofitable many of them in the most cynical sense you could say have been propped up by private equity money that kept them in, in business and just eroded right. the margins of every, every other business if you want to be really cynical you could say that but i'd also say you know this direct-to-consumer business model is clearly here to stay and without a
1: doubt i mean if you just look at progressive and geico right. and insurance that, yeah. that's, that's like a massive, a and, massive industry shift. And this isn't
0: just about a B2C. I mean, in the, in the B2B world, which we haven't spoken much about that, I think some of the most interesting transformations and upgrades of marketing leadership are happening in B2B businesses. If you think about the role that lead generation plays there and the, the role that marketing plays in lead management now in B2B, that, that is significant and substantial. And so there's a whole set of, of skill sets that exist out there that you don't necessarily get through just the you know the academy companies of the past they're still very important and, and they develop great leadership and general management capabilities as well which matters just as much at a senior level as the individual you know technical capabilities but this is more about finding a a, a leader a manager a mentor a business that is willing to invest and give you exposure to different development areas I've always felt that companies you know I'll pick on a few companies American Express has done a great job, I think, of developing talent across different, I realize there are essentially a monoline financial services, credit card business, essentially at its heart, but do a great job of developing talent. If you look at resumes of people in American Express, they're constantly changing jobs every two years. Right. And that's not viewed as a weakness. I think that's viewed as a strength. And there are other businesses like that that have done a really good job of developing uh, talent and they exist in industries or places that you might not that you might not expect. Financial services is actually, you know, I might say, Mike, twenty years ago, financial services was not a place a great marketing person went to go and have a standout. No, but career. now it is. Now, now it, it is. Now it is. And some of the work being done by insurance companies that you mentioned or credit card businesses is very cutting edge. And because now you have all data. the data, I know all the data it's, and a way to use it right. directly. And so this comes to another point around: is the future of marketing about who owns first-party data, and what is that going to mean for the future? Anyway,
1: that's maybe for a future podcast, Mike. Um, well, I, I hear you agreeing to come back. Uh, <laughs> so, but and I want to summarize what you just said because because we're, we're running up against time, and I want to get the last question in here. But what I heard you say here is: look, get trained by someone that knows what they're doing. To get broad. Uh, as as much as possible so that you are, are doing more things. And then three, think like a general manager, not like a marketer, no matter where you are in this space so that you are learning as much as you can. Is, is that a fair summary of what you yep. kind of said? Yep. Thank you, yes. Okay, awesome. So last question practical advice and or funniest story you want to share with our listeners that we haven't talked about today you can take one or both of those but you must take one practical advice and or funniest story
0: uh okay practical advice uh because i don't have a great funny story for you off the top of my head but practical advice is uh what has become clear to me for doing this job now for almost 20 years is that the most important thing someone possesses in their career is their reputation how you treat people, how you engage with people, how you manage people, the feelings you leave with people. That is the most important thing you have in, in your career. When we do, we do a lot of what we'll call sort of backdoor referencing, third party right. sourcing on people before we even make the call to them. And a lot of it is often dwelling, you know, it really comes down to what is this person's reputation? What have they done? What are they like? I say this because your reputation is the hardest thing for you to adjust. You can't just pivot your reputation overnight (laughs) it is the accumulated experience of often decades of of how you treat and how you engage people so i would say at any point in your career the most important thing you can do is treat people well be treated well treat people the way you would expect to be treated and not you don't have to actively cultivate your reputation i'm not saying that but think about how you engage with people because that is a track record that goes with you you can't adjust it easily and that is often you know what what will be the lingering impression you you leave on people and how they talk about you to
1: others particularly people like us well i think that is a great uh finish to the show thank you for sharing that thank you richard and thanks to everyone for listening to cmo confidential look for our other shows on evergreen spotify apple and youtube which include why marketing and it should be bffs a leading business thinker and futurist, talks about what's next. Is the CMO position headed for extinction? And what private equity really thinks about marketing? Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential.
0: Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief
1: marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? you should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches.
0: So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com.
1: you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life.